the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Welcome to XR Star, your monthly podcast where we talk all things extended reality and the metaverse. I'm your host, futurist Amelia Coleman. I am so thrilled to be here at ISE 2022. We are live and in person in Barcelona, and I have a very special guest joining me today, my friend, Demond Curitin. He is the senior journalist at XR Today, and we have lots to catch up on. So hi, Demond. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of your work. I think it's amazing that uh, you get to experience and write about XR day in and day out. And I just wanted to know a bit more about your background and how you got started in this industry. Well, it's a very interesting background. And um, yeah, and thanks for following us at um, XR Today. Um, what we can talk about, I guess, is it all kind of started with a love of technology from you know my past. And also, more recently, a lot of the issues surrounding the trade war with um, China and the United States, which I covered for a previous publication. Um, after that, we decided to kind of learn a little bit more about it. So I eventually came in contact with the lovely people over at uh, Today Digital. They were able to, you know, get me set up over there. And after that, we just got completely involved in the industry. It was pretty much like a deep dive, being thrown into the water and trying to learn about the industry as it was as it was developing. So you came at it from kind of the economic standpoint, so you had been studying the, the trade war and, and that led you to XR? Um, in some ways, yes. It was, I wanted to understand a little bit more about telecommunications. So along with the trade war, there was a lot of involvement with different telecoms like Nokia, Ericsson, and um, Huawei, of course, those are the big three that are involved in the entire industry. And then, of course, you have you know other telcos like um, T-Mobile, Verizon, and so on. So as that progressed, what I wanted to do is to get further into the industry. So I started looking for different positions that would actually get me within that industry. And you know, coming across today, digital, they said, you know, hey, we're looking for a person that can help us to you know network mingle with people and to try to cover extended reality so they said oh you know do you know anything about extended reality i was like i will find out because i do like vr games you know? yeah. <laughs> and it eventually grew into a major passion for the industry and i found that there were so many things taking place at such a rapid speed that it was nearly impossible to keep up with i'm sure that you've seen quite a few of the developments you know in the industry as well. Yeah, for sure. I started in about 2013, and that was the year that Google Glass first came out, and the Oculus Rift got kickstarted, and IBM Watson, I think, was just becoming a thing, so people were just starting talking about AI. And of course, these are technologies that have been in development for ages, but this was kind of their first um, exposure to the consumer market. And it was a really kind of pivotal time to, to be in it all. So what time did what kind of years did you start? Were you around in then? Um, I think it started for me around 2018, 2018. Yeah, yeah it was very exciting then too. It was, you, we kept kind of 
we're, we're still escalating towards a tipping point. Yes. Um, but there was quite a lot of buzz around it then. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I always love to hear people's origin stories about how they got involved and into it. So are you a gamer as well? Absolutely. Um, still doing uh, Xbox. I'm an Xbox fan. Okay. So um, haven't gotten the Series X yet, but I would like to get a little bit more into it. But it's funny that you mention gaming because gaming is one of the main drivers of the metaverse. And we're actually finding something called serious gaming which coincides with the development of metaverse technologies that people can use for enterprise additions. So um, f take, for example, cloud computing, edge computing, these types of technologies. Um, people would be able to apply those to um, you know, a consumer solutions as well as enterprise solutions. You know, anytime you need to stream data over long distances without losing the latency, it's important for you know, them to develop those types of tools that they can empower the next generation of games um, well not just games but also um, you know solutions one of the main developments taking place in the metaverse industry is that Microsoft acquired Activision Blizzard and what they've decided to do is to develop cloud computing internet things they've decided to um, find new ways to share avatars NFTs and generate creative content within the metaverse. And so they're going to eventually use that to lead into the next steps for Microsoft. Well, Sony also responded by acquiring Bungie, if I pronounced that correctly, mm -hmm. and they've decided to do the same thing. So there's a major rivalry between the two major firms. Fascinating. And where do you see China fitting into all this? Uh, well, yeah, Tencent has... I should go ahead and say that, that both Demand and I have spent lots of time in Shanghai um, at different times. I was there in 2007 to 2010 and you were there 2012 to 2013. Yeah. So we have some on the ground experience and ideas, yeah. <laughs> insights, if you will. So yeah, so, so can you fill us in a bit more about how you see um, China's metaverse developing? Well, China's a tricky situation there. It's not to say they're not developing it and they're in fact, they've got quite a few firms involved in developing the metaverse. Firstly, you've got Tencent, which is Amazing. by far the world's biggest gaming company. Yeah, for sure. Opinion. But, of course, now they have rivalry with Microsoft. They have decided they've wanted to develop their own metaverse platform. However, they do need to kind of check in with um, the government to make sure that that goes through and that they abide by the laws, firstly, domestically within the mainland context and then later on within the global context. Yeah. That's typically how Tencent releases its different products like you know we use WeChat when we were in Shanghai everyone used it mm -hmm. and there's a different version for within the country and there's one for you know outside mm. yeah yeah so I mean I think with the the Chinese metaverse there's going to be more uh, less of a focus on user generated content than we might see in the West and more of a focus on the events and the the commerce side of things yeah is that something that you think I think so, yeah. One of the big drivers of the metaverse is, of course, retail, mm -hmm. um, creating content that helps people to connect with products. And it's a good way to interface with your, you know, your buyer, I guess, section and to try to get more of these products out to people. And that brand visibility is very important for a lot of them. So I see them using it in that context, but I also see them using it in an enterprise context. You have companies, I think it's a pimp, Blimax or so on, 
and they are developing a new um, XR headset, which is supposed to have very high specs, very good resolution. Um, you have Huawei also developing their six degree of freedom headsets. And um, there should be many more. Of course, you know about the recent acquisition where Pico Interactive was basically bought up by ByteDance. So that's another major development we have to look at. So now they're going to compete directly with Meta Platforms Inc. You know, and their recent acquisition of Oculus in I think it was 2018. Mm. So we're going to see, it, it's happening at such a breakneck speed that we're going to see many more things. So it's, I would say it's too early to say what's going to take place in China at this moment, but there will be strict competition with the West. Yeah, absolutely. I don't doubt it at all. I think India is going to be a big player. South Korea, their government is also taking an active involvement in the development of their metaverse. Mm. Um, and because, you know, in China, South Korea, um, and places that do have some government oversight, I think they have an a slight advantage in how fast they can go to market and accelerate and reach mass audiences. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the West, there might be some more regulation or some more things that um, that block it, you know, from kind of accelerating at the same kind of speed. So you mentioned there about the retail opportunity inside XR and the metaverse. Um, have you seen any companies or any specific technologies that you think are going to be really impactful in in delivering these retail experiences? Absolutely, there's two that we follow um, on the XR side. Um, we have Nextech AR, which is a Canadian firm based in Vancouver. And their CEO, I think is Evan Gappelberg. He is pretty much leading the charge when it comes to AR sponsored content and mi what they call mini metaverses, which are essentially, you know, you can basically put a small metaverse in a shopping mall, small metaverse in an office, and it gives you all of this, you know, curated content that you can interact with with your smartphone or any other mobile devices that you use. Um, we can also look at a company called Avatar, which recently spoke with their um, head of 3D. Uh, I think his name is Daniel Frith. He was a very nice guy. He was able to tell us a lot about what they're doing to try to push into the AR market, and they're making similar technologies as well. So I think that those are two examples of companies developing metaverse solutions. There's even another company, Dressed, which has recently pivoted to the metaverse. And they recently hired um, a new CEO, or actually um, a new executive, I, was, I should say, to lead the charge in the metaverse. So this is a company that is basically work, works with high-end models. They design things for, um, I guess, the high street shops, things of that nature. You think of Gucci. Burberry, all of these different kinds of companies, they are now getting involved in that as well. So more and more businesses, as we monitor you know, the whole market, we're going to see a lot more businesses enter into Metaverse Solutions to try to make sure that they get at the head of the charge. I mean, imagine what it was like for many companies who have been around for hundreds of years, maybe even the last 60 years, finding the internet, Web 1.0, Web 2.0, and now getting involved trying to get their products out and now they have 3.0 to deal with web 3 and so we're going to see quite a similar trends you know in that regard yeah yeah it's like you know at one point everyone needed to have a website and then everyone needed to have a facebook page and now everybody wants to be in the metaverse but one thing i i think of about brands is i think we all need to be very honest about who the audience in the metaverse currently is you know i think it's it's gamers i think it's gen z 
Mm-hmm. I think there's, you know, some music fans, some people coming specifically for events, that kind of thing. And of course, this will grow. But for some companies, this might not be the right time to enter right now mm-hmm. if that's not their core audience, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on that? Um, interesting thoughts. Um, so one thing that I would like to stress is that, you know, on the retail side and maybe the consumer facing side, we tend to focus on the metaverse as being a place where people can meet together. They can, you know, communicate with one another, share the latest updates, attend concerts, go in, you know, work together in this, you know, in the same virtual space. The thing is, is that the metaverse is actually across all divisions of the market. So we have enterprise, we have government level metaverses, uh, we have several examples of government level metaverses to interface with people. For example, the Ministry of Health in Dubai recently came up with a platform so that people could get healthcare advice using the metaverse from any location in the world. I mean, any, well, yeah, any location in the world, but also mostly people in remote areas that are unable to get to their doctors in time to access, you know, quality healthcare or even advice. But they have headsets. Yeah, they would be shipped headsets or they'd have like a computer interface where they could just work with their computer screens. Okay. So they tried to make it as um, interoperable as possible. Yeah, interesting. And uh, you just said the the word interoperable. Mm. Um, So, you know, this is one of those kind of discussion points at the moment. Are we going to go fully interoperable? Are we going to be siloed into a multiverse? Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, so I know it's a big question. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a great question actually, and um, I think it's a question that many people need to consider these days. Now, every time we have the advent of a new technology, we tend to think that oh, it's going to make humanity do this or that or so on. But you know, we as humanity have always been changing based on technology. Even if it was a stick to create fire, that one stick, you know completely reshaped the course of humanity. We had food, we were able to cook for ourselves, and we were able to um, light fire to keep ourselves warm in the old days, way, way old days. And nowadays, we can use technologies in the same way. So each new advancement that we create in technology completely alters the course of human history. I think that, you know, I'm an optimist when it comes to the metaverse. I tend to think, you know, given that we allow ourselves the time to separate our lives from the metaverse and use it as a tool rather than as something that we immerse ourselves in and become lost in, I think that we have the capabilities to do some amazing things both at the enterprise and consumer level. Now, I, th- um, I-, I-, I could ask you firstly, like, say for instance, you have your headset, what are some of the common uses you would use it for? So perhaps uh, going to an event like this, if I couldn't make it in person, um, going to concerts Um, and I think at this moment if there was some kind of I like the sensory experiences I like the ones that are kind of outside of the realm of things you can experience in your real life so very imaginative kind of um, yeah meditative kind of experiences those ones are for me I'm not oh I I was about to say I'm not a big thrill seeker, but I did do one time a zip wire and I did it with a headset on and it was like flying over the Grand Canyon. And I did it once without the headset and it was so much better with the headset on. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, so I mean, those are some of the examples of, of what I would probably use it for. But then, you know, I also, I work for myself, so I don't have colleagues who I necessarily collaborate with or train. Um, but in an enterprise setting, I, I think that is absolutely brilliant for that. And then where I'm getting excited is from an interoperable point of view is, um, you know, there's ways now for developers to use different kinds of developing tools in an interoperable way. So it's like that back end is becoming interoperable and people can work together and collaborate remotely to create these new these new products and these new spaces. I mean, for me, I think there's going to be a real big shift in the relationship between brands and their customers and their consumers, um, you know, partly because we're all becoming developers. You know, we're all going to be able to develop our own multiverse, metaverse, our own overlays and, and have a, a stake in it. And so when, when brands have their places, they're going to need people to influence others to come into these spaces. And also the people and developers will be playing a part in deciding which products they offer, which services they offer, and uh, have a bigger voice in general in the direction that these companies go in. Absolutely. And even looking at, at an industry level, we think of the metaverse as, okay, so we can go to concerts, we can do our exercises and workouts you know, in, in the metaverse, but you know, when we look at the ISE, for example, we see a lot of the different... Um, I guess, exhibitions that are here. You know, for example, Vario had a very, very nice exhibition, you know, demoing um, one of their products where you can actually see inside a vehicle. This is something that many of the companies are very excited about now. They use typically Autodesk for this and V-Red, and they're able to work together simultaneously on the design of a new vehicle before it goes into production. And then on top of that, they can actually view the inside of the vehicle in, in, and outside from any angle wherever they need to go. Mm. So you could actually go outside or in your garden, place the vehicle out there with your Vario headset, and you could work with colleagues all over the world, Tokyo, Singapore, New York, you know, London, anywhere you want. So that's one example of a metaverse solution, and that goes with the uh, Vario Reality Cloud. And you have other examples where they demoed another product where you can actually, in education, go into the idea that you can educate kids or, you know, young adults, adult learners, even surgeons training for, you know, their, um, for the residency. And you can actually allow them to look at the entire human anatomy from all angles and, you know, look at the different systems within the body and teach them how to become better surgeons. You can actually practice surgery on a virtual body. And on top of that, they say that the learner retention rates are like 75% of what's normally acquired through regular traditional means. So I look at XR. In the entertainment sense, it's amazing. We can immerse ourselves in content. But from a pragmatic sense, and that's the sense that I look at or want to focus on, we can actually achieve a lot more with immersive content and immersive training modules that can lead our tech, you know, our technological future into kind of a new era. Yeah. Expanding on that example around surgery, you know, if we are, what I love about this is that 
it's a data experience as well because every action that you do within these spaces is is part of a data ecosystem, right? So you can have something like the best surgeon in the world do show demonstrate their surgery within this space and then you can actually extract that data and then teach everyone in the world to that same standard. So everybody becomes an amazing surgeon you know that's just an example so that kind of the democratization of very high skill level training and um, I think that's going to be so important especially in in new and emerging economies as well absolutely Um, just to interject there was a very interesting study I looked at with um, the Varo Aero which is one of the few certified devices that you can use to teach pilots how to fly now in the past one of the things that pilots had to do is they had to go to specialized centers located in specific parts of the world, pay, you know, pay quite hefty fees in order to train for a, set, a certain set of hours. And you can only do that maybe once or twice a year. It's costly for the airlines. It's costly for the pilots. They have to kind of re, you know, reorganize their schedule for everything. Now, with the Aero, you can sit in the training module. You can take the course anytime you want. You know, and the, you know, it, it's just it allows for people to repetitively go through their exercises so that way they can ascertain what they're learning and you know do it on cue as opposed to oh i have to go through this physical training you know source and then now we have to worry about you know paying for another hour or we have to worry about going to another center or traveling to this country and the same goes with um, first responders yeah uh, there was a company Darley Darley WS and uh, Pico Interactive at one point they made a training module where they had firefighters and those firefighters realized that the training that they received from those XR solutions were amazing and they allowed to train on the fly and they could do so so that way they can ensure the safety of firefighters being deployed to certain areas to tackle, you know, fires in California and, um, you know, certain scenarios, situations, you can do it based on the specific parameters that you need. So do we have a building fire? Yeah. And then you incorporate it with AI and make it an AI generated experience. So you don't get the same training in the same scenario twice, Mm. you know, because you think about ambulance first responders or something, you know, they never show up to the same environment And it's, you know, or the same victim or the same, you know, accident. Every single time is different. Mm. So using AI integrated with XR, they actually get a lot more real training, real life sort of training experience because they have to react in the same kind of way, you know, on the spot. And um, and then they're still we can measure how well they're doing. So there's that aspect of it as well so you can um, new ways of kind of measuring yeah how well someone's doing I wanted to actually go back in and talk a bit more about data because there's so you know with headsets and, and hand tra- hand tracking eye tracking head tracking gesture tracking and then there's um, you know more insights into things like emotions you know where where we're taking second glances might indicate um, a subconscious reaction, things like that. Um, so yeah, so so when it comes to things like emotional data, are you seeing this um, emerging yet with these technologies as something that we're starting to measure? Um, what are your thoughts on that? 
absolutely. A lot of um, firms have been using hand and eye tracking to record, you know, psychological data. They've also used it to record, you know, human responses to certain triggers. For example, if you had to treat a soldier for a post-traumatic stress disorder, they would probably use that kind of data to monitor the patient's health and to help them on the road to recovery faster than if they were just using a module without those technologies. So I think it's important that using these different kind of um, biometrics would allow them to kind of you know speed up the process of recovery for patients. There was another company called Rocket VR, if I'm not mistaken, that they allow their um, patients post-operation for cancer. They can then um, use that to speed up their recovery. Normally, they spend about 28 days in isolation, and for them, it's a bit difficult. So, from the emotional side, these patients are able to more comfortably recover from chemotherapy treatments or surgeries and you know live a more healthier fulfilling life so that's one example yeah that's a lovely one i really like that one so i know i've been asking a lot of the questions but if there's if you want to ask me any you're welcome to oh, of course of course yeah. yeah since we're at the isc 2022 it's in nice and sunny barcelona as i've told people yeah um what were some of the best takeaways from some of the talks that you've had with people yeah so yesterday i hosted the smart workplace summit and that was really great. We had some amazing companies represented, Google, Microsoft, Zoom, Pexip, um, you know, just to name a few, Crestron, Logitech, Siemens, I mean, Barco, I, I feel like I could just go on. Um, yeah, and it was really interesting. So it was a big focus around hybrid working and collaboration. And while AI, data, and XR were not the center of those conversations. They are definitely things that people are starting to integrate into their systems. And one of the big takeaways I had is that basically now that we're going back into the office, companies are looking to the AV community to tell them what to do. They don't know. We're in a new territory, you know, hybrid, some people working from home, some people working in the office. You know, the thing about the pandemic and lockdown and stuff is we were all somebody I'm stealing this from a talk that I heard a couple of weeks ago at a, another convention I spoke at. But um, I loved what she said. She said we were all in the same storm, but we all had different boats. And, you know, to some people, if you have the luxury of having your own office at home and the right equipment, you know, and, and you know, noise-free environments or whatever it is that, that allows you to work your best, then that's great. But you also have to keep in mind there were people sat on their toilet seats with their laptop on an ironing board in front of them, you know. And, and I can imagine that they are keen to get back into the office. And it's how we kind of level that playing field between people who are in office and outside of office. And so a couple of the key points were around flexibility, flexibility of space, flexibility of working, inclusion, how to make people wherever they are feel included and part of the process. And then also partnerships. And this I think is really key. And I think this is a bit of a change from what we may have seen three years ago, last time we did this, is this idea that for us to meet our goals around talent retention, around sustainability, and around mental health and well-being, which is, you know, a continuing um, 
issue and only going to get bigger. I honestly don't think we have seen the fallout from lockdown and COVID yet. And I also think that when we talk about Gen Z, we also have to remember that they've been traumatized as a generation that coming into these spaces. So they might be more comfortable interacting in an XR metaverse environment than in a real life environment. I mean, things like these are important for us to be thinking about. And there was kind of this sense that we've been having supply chain issues, right? Like the world <laughs> is in a supply chain right. issue, Especially right? Especially semiconductors right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so many things are kind of backed up. So what they're finding is that they have no choice but to kind of integrate legacy systems with new systems. And, um, and so while we can imagine this futuristic, amazing workplace, we kind of can't implement it right now or as fast as we want to. So it's like, how do we take those steps towards it? And also keeping sort of a, a holistic idea of what we actually go to work for. Why do we need an office? What's the function of the office? You know, and, and essentially what I think I would say after hearing everyone talk tomorrow, it's about bringing people together. So while you might have an office a desk in a space you're not actually going there anymore just to like focus and put your earphones on and heads down because you can do that at home in your pajamas and bed right? right so if you're going into a space you want to be there to interact with other people and also i'll tell you the other thing is that people are not messing around with their time anymore you know nobody wants to be in a room or a building they don't like with people they don't like spending time that they could be home with their kids or, you know, walking their dog or out in nature, you know? So um, I think that is also behind the great resignation that we're seeing. So, you know, people, us, em employees, you know, like where people are just realizing that they have more power, that life is short and that we need to prioritize our mental health, our physical health and our, our well-being in order to deliver the best we can for the people who pay us money, you know? Absolutely. It is definitely challenging the way people interact with one another. And I think that the pandemic itself actually gave people a, a, a challenge. It was a challenge that we met. We started to try to develop metaverse solutions, XR solutions, but we also realized what it was important for us as we were going through these challenges. Some people quit their jobs, some people lost their jobs. Other people became remote workers. I mean, many of us are remote workers these days. So we go into the human element. I remember some of the quotes from the Gatherverse, and they spoke quite fondly of the idea that XR technologies can help us to connect with our humanity. Like, what does this mean for you? Um, do you think that XR technologies can potentially open up a new side of us, a new side of our imaginations? that will in turn make the world a better place. I hope so. Yeah, I do. I think that we have the opportunity to tap into dormant parts of our brain perhaps and unleash new, um, new avenues towards creativity. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? When you, oh, I speak about it often, it's just on the tip of my tongue. 
So like when you taste something, but you see a color or you... Synesthesia? Synesthesia, yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I have a theory and there's been a bit of research around it and a bit of experimentation, um, but I think there could always be more, is that because we're all born with synesthesia and we grow out of it because it becomes something you can't communicate. Like you don't lick an ice cream cone and say it tastes pink. You say it tastes strawberry, you know? So, and, and so we've kind of evolved out of it, except synesthesia is very much linked to creativity. And a lot of kind of the geniuses of our time, if you will, you know, are supposedly synesthetic, like Picasso, Bob Dylan, Kanye West, if you, if you've, consider him a genius which I don't but that's another story um, <laughs> so so I think there's a chance there that we can unlock this dormant part of our brain and democratize um, this new creative creative um, parts of ourselves and I kind of hope that happens I think uh, there's over lockdown one of the things is I was having this kind of discussion debate with somebody about they were saying that they expected more great art and music to come out of lockdown and that they haven't seen it. And my argument was, well, have you been online in the metaverse in these 3D worlds? You know, people have created amazing things and amazing platforms and amazing music and, um, you know, environments and art and experiences. And so for me, I kind of think that it is a new platform for that and it is just emerging at the moment. Absolutely. And have you attended any Metaverse concert, uh, concerts? Um, yes. Yes, I have. None of the big ones. That, well, actually, that's not true. I did do um, Travis Scott, like everyone else. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that was pretty impressive. It was pretty cool. Um, and I did do, actually, I did do Ariana Grande as well. Um, I haven't done any quite recently, so I'm really into, um, I just interviewed on my last episode, um, Anne from Wristband, so they have a music metaverse, and uh, Mirashot just did a concert, and they do a live concert experience, but they use headsets to take you, um, um, you're in, in the live experience watching the band and then they overlay AR and MR on top of the experience and then at some points they completely put you in virtual reality so it's like you can VJ like video DJ or DJ this whole live experience with this X, XR technologies and reality so extended reality overlaid and if you think about that that's pretty amazing you know so if the future of theater concert experiences allow us to have multi-reality experiences at once. Um, I think I think that's where it's going, and I think that sounds really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing that I constantly stress to people, because you know, both of us, we've probably been able to interact with and talk to people and ask them what do you think about the metaverse? And typically what they'll say is, uh, oh, it scares me, or oh, well, it seems cool, maybe I can try it for a little bit. Or, I, I want to try some of the games that are on there. Um, do you think 
that there would be like a mass adoption of the metaverse, similarly to what, the way we use smartphones today? Or do you think that there will always be a bit of reticence to adopting this type of technology for people? Mm. I think the metaverse will come on its own. Um, and I think we will adopt it without even recognizing that we're adopting it. So I, I extend my definition of the metaverse beyond sort of headsets into the idea that the entire world is going to have a digital overlay on top of it. So we are mapping the world right now and, you know, five years from now when I'm wearing my glasses, I might be able to see a whole, you know, interactive art exhibition or a concert or, you know, all kinds of things overlaid that I can interact with. Maybe there's coupons, maybe there's, you know, free stuff I can collect on. Who knows? And this will be happening inside buildings, outside buildings, in our real environments. And then this is going to create an entire new industry because not only are we going to need people to design and, and create these spaces, but also, you know, leasing these spaces, renting these spaces, buying these spaces, regulating these spaces, policing these spaces, um, you know, because right now where you might have like a bad Yelp review or a bad review on Glassdoor, you know, you could, a, a disgruntled employee could take a billboard out in front of your building, you know, which you don't necessarily want. But how do you manage that? How do you deal with that? How do we, you know, do we sell real estate in what we think of as free space outside in the world? How long do those leases last? Like I said, I think there's going to be a whole new industry ar arriving around that. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to interject. One of the two biggest verticals for the metaverse, or at least XR technologies, are going to be ethics and law. And uh, some of the people from the Gatherverse, I think it was Claris Law, they explained that, well, we've got lawyers. Uh, none of them are actually XR lawyers or metaverse lawyers, but they do have specialties in parts of the metaverse. So maybe there's one that does copyright law, another one that does uh, criminal law, um, cybersecurity law. And so they're going to have to find ways to kind of organize and to kind of band together the workforces to deal with what happens in the metaverse. Absolutely. I think um, that's been one of the problems leading up to this space, I think, is because, you know, we've we've seen cases where people try to go to court and there are no laws to try it under, you know, and um, it doesn't really apply to cybersecurity. It doesn't really apply to IP, but does it, you know, and I think you're absolutely right. There's a whole new industry emerging there. I mean, there's so many new industries. There's so many opportunities. And I think it's also right to point out that there's risks involved too, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I guess one of the things, this is maybe one of the last questions I could ask you. Um, so regarding the ISE, I mean, you've hosted this last year at the ISE London where we first started chatting up about XR. And for this year, we've seen this massive expansion after the pandemic. It's just absolutely blown away by how many uh, displays and exhibitions and booths and you know executives that have actually arrived here. Um, can you give me your overall thoughts about the ISC and what do you think you would expect from it in the next round? Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of ISC. I think I started coming in 2017 um, and then I hosted the XR Summit for a couple of years and then they have 
went online, obviously, and then we met in, in June. And they have taken a break from the XR Summit this year, but I believe it's going to come back next year. I hope it does because it's a part of every conversation. You know, even the Smart Building Summit, there's the even, I mean, I imagine that tomorrow when they talk about super yachts, <laughs> I have to go and find a new um, home audio system for my super yacht, <laughs> as you do. Um, that it's a part of all these conversations. I mean, how do you design the super yacht? You know, you're not going to be on it, are you? You have to design in one of these spaces. And it's just so relevant to all these conversations. So I really hope that they bring that back. I mean, for me, there's such a great mix of technology here and the opportunity to make partnerships. So I personally kind of struggled with networking during the lockdown. I found the ones that were through the remote conferencing apps and sites and stuff um, a bit tedious. And I don't think I actually really had that human connection there's nothing kind of like looking somebody in eye shaking hands you know having a shared smile or laugh over something to to make you want to know if you want to do business with them or not you know and that is what happens here and it's just really great to see the systems around it because again xr doesn't happen in a box it doesn't happen on its own this is the industry that supports it and this industry is very much waking up to the idea that that xr is part of the audio visual future absolutely yeah and i'm sure there's going to be a lot of great things in the future in store and i'm excited about it is this your first ISE? Um, no, uh, I did the ISE London last year. That's right. That's where we then, met. Yeah. Yeah. And then this one, this was the first one where it was just, it was a bit overwhelming because all the different exhibition booths, the halls. This is a got. proper ISE. I mean, there's over 5,000 people here. There's tons of exhibitions. I've only seen part of hall two and i think there's like seven halls or something yeah. i mean yeah so <laughs> it's massive even the one on the other side i think it's got sony and samsung and lg and that's just a completely new ballpark oh okay well this is going to be my final question for you then what's been your favorite thing that you've seen so far what should i see tomorrow when i get to check out the exhibition um my favorite takeaway i think was uh, vario i mean by far is Test that the one with lenovo uh yes with yeah lenovo and um seeing you know reality cloud in person and having a chance to kind of demo the technology just to me blew it away it's amazing amazing technology to deal with and also um yeah there were a few there were a few other boots that i really enjoyed um for example we spoke with avacore which was one of the companies they were integrating their technologies with google glass and the google meet ecosystem so one of the things i liked about it is it showed a bit more how they were developing interoperability. Uh, excuse me, interoperability. That's a tricky word. Sorry. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> With um, different types of form factors for devices. So you may have your Google Glass headset on. You're wearing that, and then on top of that, you're sending data. You're sending video feeds, documents to people in the conference room using Google Meet, and you can actually help them to key in. You know, different ways to use the technology, different ways to monitor um, whatever use cases your company needs to use it for. And we find now that there are new solutions outside of the typical headset, outside the smart glasses that people can use XR for. You know, even if you go to an entertainment hall or 
you know, you go to, well, we have like the immersive art expert. And we find that we can integrate different technologies into what's taking place in the physical world. So you may have an LED screen that reacts to how you're using either a headset or, you know, smart glass device. And so we're really, you know, we have the chance to connect with the devices and create a synergist you know, kind of experience for the people using it. Yeah, I love that. And that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Damond. This has been lovely. I love talking to people who know all about it. My like pleasure. yourself, who, who can have a conversation about this and geek out with me. So I really Absolutely. appreciate it. <laughs> so thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Bye. Yes.